There we go. <clears throat> we uh, we're jumping into different tools and making different decisions from an infrastructure standpoint. Nerd words. <laughs> right. After spending some time with uh, Dell technical support yesterday. Oh, how again, was that? For the umpteenth time. <laughs> it, it made me think that nobody should be allowed to start a business unless they or one of the members of their founding group are really good at customer service. Like it should Oh, be dude, illegal. let's talk about it. Let's totally talk about it because that's literally what I do day to day right now. <laughs> yeah, it should it should be outright illegal to start a business if you don't know how to do customer service. Okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> it's a polarizing topic, but I think we're I gonna have, roll with it. I mean, I talked a, a bit about this on I did like a two hour podcast interview, like where I was interviewed yesterday. Um, so we went down every freaking rabbit hole, and one of them was the fact that like everybody talks crap. Like the, the, the egotistical entrepreneur who doesn't really amount to much, but is like, oh, you got to outsource everything. And then like, you should be doing that. You're the founder. And it's like, okay, cool. But I grew like a business twice your size <laughs> by still doing it myself. So like, that's not really a good thing to say is like, oh, just outsource it. It's like, no, that's, that's a dumb thing to do. Actually. There's a, there's a fine line between outsourcing and hiring staff and building you know, a team hundred percent right if you're outsourcing a task to somebody some some will hit the target better than others but they're just doing the job to get paid like there's they have no commitment no investment in what you're building like that's not the arrangement at all right you're telling them do x y and z and when you're done i want to give you some money and then maybe you'll come back maybe you won't you know it depends on the arrangement but when you actually hire somebody or have somebody on staff or yourself it actually you know their job is customer service right like they, their paycheck is contingent on them performing you know you can always swap out a va all you want for doing whatever you know whatever menial tasks you don't want to do yourself but actually hiring somebody to do the job well is exponentially harder yeah so and, and that's something we're going through right now actually so um when we first launched Aura, that was like, well, I mean, really like Vindrive, but I would say Aura is obviously dramatically larger in terms of scale. So, so, you know, I learned certainly a lot in doing the support for Vindrive, but that's very low volume. So eh, we'll, we'll negate that. Let's, let's switch over to Aura. Cause I think that's really where I had to figure things out quickly because we were growing so fast and it's not like we're just, Oh, we're just going to hire people, right? Like you have cash flow problems, right? Especially when you're bootstrapped. So, um, Early on, it was it was advised that we should outsource support like day one. No, I was violently against it. I'm like, I, no, yeah, one, that is that is a hard pass for me too. <laughs> one, here's the thing. One of the pillars of so whenever you go to start like a new company, especially when you have competition, you have to have things that like you do differently, right? Otherwise, you're just a ripoff, right? And so we knew one of the things that we wanted to be vastly different was customer support. So we're not going to do emails. We're, we're we can't do phone calls, especially at that time because I was still in school. Um, so I'd be like in class answering support tickets. Um, but but we do live live chat, right? And we we actually measure the average first response time. Like that's a KPI, right? So a key performance indicator, like we measure that. And if it's not below a certain thing, I'm failing. 
hundred percent. Right. So my biggest thing is like, if I don't know how to effectively do customer support, how am I going to hire somebody to do it for me? It doesn't work. Right. It's like me saying, I know nothing about baseball. I'm going to teach you about baseball. How good are you going to be? You're going to be garbage. Right. <laughs> so, so instead I took on that role full time. And by the way, it's been a year and a half since we launched Aura. I'm still doing it to this day. Guess what starts on Monday? Our first part-time customer support employee, not outsourced, literally a human being that we know (laughs) that I trust that's excited as heck to do the job. But what's awesome is like, I've learned so much about support and I've been able to build the systems that make it easier to do. Because I had to do so much on top of so much, I had to basically find a way to do support better. Um, And that led me down a lot of really interesting rabbit holes. But now I think I've got support down pretty good. I mean, ticket size is not a problem. I can sit down with 50 plus live support tickets and have them all solved within an hour. Easy. Um, and we even, we even measure the, um, cause you can do this in intercom, which is who we use for customer support. You can measure the conversation ratings after the conversation. So it, it would be easy for me to be like, Oh, I can just flow through support tickets, but my conversation rating is like 40%, right? Everybody's like, dude, this is the worst. It's 95%. Like literally the rating is 95%. Now I'm kind of upset cause it's not hundred percent, but like, let's be honest, we're probably never going to get there, <laughs> but, but I learned how to do that. So now when Finn, who's, who's the new employee, he's coming on board next Monday. When I get him onboarded and teach him how we do it, one, he's going to be ready to go way sooner. Two, he actually cares about what we're building and wants to be a part of our team more than anything. And three, he's going to crush it. Like I, I just know he is, right? Because everything is set up and teed up for him to, to do well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's so important, right? I think it, it's just too easy to say like, Everything should be outsourced from the beginning. Like you as a founder, quote unquote, should not be doing X, Y, and Z. I'm sorry, but that's an ego move. Like that's an ego perspective because you, the founder, shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. I disagree in a lot of cases to a point. You know, there's there's something to be said about if, you, if you're exposed to every element of the business and you feel it, you feel the pains, you feel the joys – you know, the monotony, the highs, the lows, when you, when you feel that role kind of inside you, it it becomes part of you for a period of time. You understand it better. You know what it's going to take to offload that to not some outsourced Joe blow somewhere, but that next employee, maybe your first employee, you're going to have actual tangible ways of measuring their success because you saw it yourself firsthand, right? You're not just going off of numbers, which may be helpful. Maybe not. I have mixed, mixed feelings, mixed opinions about, you know, managing by metrics, but I don't think that's necessarily within the purview of this podcast. I don't know. Maybe, maybe one episode. <laughs> Cause I actually wanted to talk about KPIs and metrics today, but we're doing it. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. We're, we're, we're going to stay on track. I'm going to be a good boy, I, but I, I agree with you though. It, it, it does depend. And I think, I think the depending factor here is that if it's a critical thing of which your company, like it's part of the culture of your company. Like if, if you're, if your culture is is designed and the brand of your of your company is designed that says we have amazing customer support, you're not outsourcing that thing, right? And it's kind of like, you know, we, we also had people be like, oh, well, 
you guys are taking forever to hire a backend engineer. I'm like, yeah, it takes time to find a really good backend engineer, especially remote. I thought it was going to be easier remote. Turns out that's not true. It's literally harder. Um, and they're like, oh, just outsource it. I'm like, no, you don't want us to outsource something as complex as a microservices infrastructure using Golang doing repricing. Like it's incredibly complex to begin with. And then we're talking about like doing a full rewrite. So we're actually switching from Node.js to Golang, right? So we're going from, and this is super nerd, but like me and you will get it. Like we're switching from a, a, what's considered like a distributed monolith to a fully distributed system. Like one's way better for scale. One's way better for what we do. And that's a very big, complex undertaking. It's not easy thing to do. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that, I just, I don't believe in outsourcing. I mean, we have people contact us all the time. Like, Hey, we can facilitate you with a backend engineer full time, but like they're our employee. I'm like, no, not going to happen. Right. Cause you don't really care about the outcome. You just care about the build hours. And I'm just, I'm not interested in that. I think I'm at a point, you know, I, we all went through, through the whole four hour work week philosophy of like have VAs and like all that stuff. And to a degree, I still believe in a lot of that, but things are different when you're building a, a really large company um, and you need to build a solid internal team, like a critical core function team. And that's, that's completely different, right? So the, the way you're going to approach what to outsource and what not to outsource is completely different than if you're trying to build a quote unquote lifestyle business. And I think a lot of people in our industry, that's what they're building, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, but but we're not trying to build a lifestyle business. Like we're trying to build a company that does 10 million plus in annual recurring revenue. Like we're not going to do that with a lifestyle company. Like not going to happen. The point you had mentioned about somebody being actually really invested in what, you know, what the business is doing, what, what you're building, uh, that that translates directly into the customer support experience. Like what the customer sees when they when they contact you, if they need help or they have questions about an order or this or that, whatever, right? The person that's going to be replying to that email or to that live chat, they are your ambassador, more or less, right? They might not be in a marketing role, but for that moment, they are marketing. No, I get your point, right? And I think they they cannot view that role as a task based role which if if you're VA it is it's like hey do this task and when you're done great it needs to be a role that you that you you have empathy for and in and things you care about and and you have to view it you have to own that role right you have to be able to step back and say are we really doing everything possible to serve our customers. And if not, great, I have the control to make that, right? Versus just being like, great, what's the SOP? Like, sure, here's how we do it. Here's the protocols. Here's the SOPs. But have critical thinking skills, right? And I don't really believe from personal experience and and other references that your non-full-time employees will have. I, I, don't, I just, I've yet to see it. Um, I think you can certainly hire people from the Philippines that are full-time employees, in which case that's not now a virtual assistant, that's just an employee. That's okay. That's fine. If that person is full-time in in your business and employee and is with you for the long run, that's fine. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking like the difference between like, you know, basically giving a shit and not, right? And I think that's the, that's the delta here is when you actually care, about the in person, the per, the people that you're solving or, or the the people that you're serving, um, 
the way you react, the way you do things, the way you approach the day is completely different than when you have this layer of disconnect. Um, cause, cause you made a good point. Like it, I think where you're going with the, you know, you know, you don't agree with, with, um, management by, by metrics. And I think what you're really getting as like, it's a lack of empathy, right? It's like, it's way too quantifiable. And I agree 100%, right? And I, I think, I think having KPIs let you know where the business stands. Um, but even like OKRs, like we do OKRs in the company, um, and OKRs, they're very clear. This is not made or designed for you to say you're fired or you're doing a crap job, right? That's not what it, like, you can't even say like, I'm going to use your OKRs as a reference point for you getting that job or not, not allowed in that framework. Um, so I'm kind of somewhere in between, but that lack of empathy is where things go awry for me, right? It's, it's nice knowing when somebody's in support and they're, they're dealing with a problem. They're like, it's so frustrating. And I'm like, I know, but I'm not saying I know just to be nice. I get it, right? I've been an Amazon seller. So like the thing they're going through, yeah, been there multiple times. I get it. It does actually suck. So my level of empathy, especially being a founder, changes the dynamic of that conversation um, to where people actually feel, at least in my opinion, this is my assumption, right? Like I feel like people feel heard and, and understood. And I think when you're in a support conversation, that's really what you want, right? You want people to just get you. And be like, cool, dude, like 100% this does suck, but like, I got you, like, we'll figure it out together. Yeah. When you're, when you're answering that email or your chat that the person on the other end, you need to treat them like your peer, talk to them the same way you would if they were sitting right next to you and you were working through this problem with them there live in real time where you could see each other face to face, like pretend there are no barriers, right? Because that's, that's going to be the most genuine experience that individual can get. And that's going to stick with them. Right. If even if it's not the answer they want to hear, if you're genuine about why, if if you say I'm sorry and you're actually sorry, that that experience is going to stick with them in the long run. And they're going to remember, hey, that was that company that actually cared about my needs or the problems that I had, even if maybe they're not like it's not a good fit between you and the customer. You know, whatever you're selling is just not their thing or, you know, clothing. It was like a sizing issue, some could be any number of things, right? They're going to remember that that company still took care of you. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, you're setting the expectation, but then you're certainly managing the expectation, right? I, I said early on when, when people were like wanting to consider switching to Aura and we're like, eh, I'm kind of on the fence, I'm not sure. And I'm like, well, listen, like the way I'm viewing it is you're not just getting a different tool or another tool, right? Like, because I get that. But instead, the way we want it to be viewed in the way we're approaching it is like, I, I want you to feel like you have a team of repricing nerds on your side. And what's funny is when I analyze the data from support in terms of like the ticket allocation, the distribution of like the types and stuff like that, I would say nine times out of 10, it's, Hey, can you help me with the strategy? <laughs> like, Hey, can you help me solve this problem? I'm like, yeah, like, awesome. Like, let's jump in. Let's, let's figure it out. Let's create a, a unique um, strategy to solve that one particular problem. And so I think it's, you have to, you have to create that culture certainly, but you have to create that expectation, right? So the expectation that I I had set for people was, listen, I'm willing to spend an hour with you to solve a repricing problem and do a lot of the legwork for you um, if that's what you need. And people started to call us out on it. I'm like, yeah, here I am. Let's get it. (laughs) Right. Um, And if you're like, cool, dude, this is awesome. So I don't feel, cause I think from, from my perspective too, is like, 
I, you know, being on the other end, the, the, the customer and consumer, I don't like feeling alone when I work with a tool or when I work with a company. I don't want that. Like support docs are awesome. That's great. Like a lot of times, yeah, I'm not saying I want to like berate support for help. A lot of times I'm just going to Google stuff and, and go through your docs and figure it out. Right. But, but I don't want to feel like if I can't find it there that I can't reach out and get a, get an answer and get it sorted. You know what I mean? And so every time I, I'm working with a tool or a software or a company and I do have to go to support and they respond with the solution or at least you want know, an answer in like 30 minutes, I'm sold. Right. Cause I, now I, I have context. I have, I have consistency theoretically of like, I know if something does go wrong, they got me covered. Right. Or they'll figure it out. Um, like intercom did this yesterday. Their, their support doc, um, feature stopped working. So like help.goor.com was like down for like 10 minutes. I'm like, I can't use it in support. I'm trying to like attach things. This sucks. I hit them up in support and they're like, yep. Engineers already know about it. We'll have a fix out in five, 10 minutes. And sure enough, they did. And they were like, Hey, you're good. No problem. Like, wow, I did hardly anything. And really I didn't have to message them. Right. So if I had just not looked at support docs for like 20 minutes, I would not have even known that something went wrong. You have to, especially, I think this is like part of building a team, right? Especially when you're like customer or client focused is everybody has to care. Everybody has to know what you're building and what you're working towards. And one of the things like, cause, cause we're, we're actually moving to Boston. So we're going to have like an actual office. Um, cause right now we are remote, but we want to build like an in-person team. Um, and I'm thinking like, what can we slap up on the walls? Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a lot of it comes back to like, who do we serve? Like, what's the point? Like, why do we exist? Right. Um, and if you have clarity on that, cause I was talking to some people yesterday too, um, just on strategy. And it's like, if you can get away from what you get out of the business, cause a lot of people start a business for like, I, so I can make money, right? Like that's not how this works. <laughs> really. If you really want to succeed, you, it can't be focused on you. It can't be what you get out of it. What you get is, is secondary. The way you get what you want is by helping other people. So your primary function is to add value to somebody else's life, period. And if you have clarity on what that is and the entire team has clarity on how to do that and they strive for that every single day, you'll do fine. But too many people, especially like first-time business owners, are starting businesses so that they can make X, so that they can have Y lifestyle, not how do I help this group of people have X or have Y lifestyle. You got to make that shift. They've seen too many YouTube videos and Instagram ads about uh, passive incomes and so and many. And- right. And it's alluring, right? I mean, listen, that's why I struggled for like six years trying to be a business owner and an entrepreneur because I was focused on what I got. And when I didn't get it in like 30 to 60 days, I jumped ship to the next thing that I thought would work. Lo and behold, that's completely the wrong strategy. Right. So when you shift over and what's funny is this is like a really a philosophical view on business, right? Because it's less capitalistic. Like, what do I get? And truly, I don't believe that's what capitalism is. But a lot of that's the stereotype, right? It's like, what do I get? I'm greedy. And by taking a more philosophical approach to how do I make make a group of people's lives better? You still get that same outcome, right? Like, it's just it's so interesting. But what's what's funny, too, is in hindsight, it's actually easier because if you're let's say you want to help photographers. You want to make photographers' lives better. Go talk to 30, find their biggest problem, find the most common big problem, solve that. There's your business model right there. You have marketing built in. They love you because you're making their lives better and you have a successful business because of that. 
versus how do I think I can, you know, or I have this idea and I'm going to try to sell it to photographers, but you haven't ever talked to a photographer, right? (laughs) It's completely, completely backwards. But having that philosophical view of how do I make this group of people's lives 10 times better, it's game changer, complete game changer. There are going to be cases where you interact with customers and it's just going to be a garbage fire the whole way, right? There's, oh, yeah. there, there are going to be times when there's literally nothing you can say to appease them. There's, there's going to be times when it just seems like you're, you're not, you're not doing enough or they're just perpetually pissed because you, you sold them some wares and they don't think they're high enough quality. So they want, you know, their money back. And then there's this whole argument about returning and, just, you know, things, things can spiral, things get weird. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's all a part of it. But even within all of that, like there are, there are things that you can, you can take and learn from in that experience. You know, what, what was the customer actually frustrated about? Was it, was it actually the quality of the goods or was it maybe the price of the goods? which sounds, you know, like that sounds like the same thing. Turns out it's not, you know, I, I'm wearing a $20 t-shirt, right? It's, it's comfortable. It works. It's not a hundred dollars nice, but it's, it's still good quality. It's not a hundred dollars quality. Like there's no, there's nothing that would make a hundred dollar t-shirt that, you know, five times better, right? You can't, you can't make a t-shirt five times better after a certain point, right? You know, there, there are still things you can take away from those conversations and you may never recover that customer. You, sometimes you just lose them, right? It could be one thing or another. There's always a learning experience buried in everything. It's the feedback loop. I mean, there, there's always new things to build. There's always a new problem, right? What What's, what's the metric? It's like, for every eight lines of code you write, you introduce 0.7 new bugs. <laughs> so like, you know, that's why so many people don't want to write code because they're like, no, dude, like, you know, it's risky to do so. And so even the 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 idea of, of approaching fixing or releasing a new feature, so to speak, can can break new things, right? So, and that's not just code, that's, you know, your manufacturing process, right? You add a new feature to your product and that introduces potential new problems, um, but, but I, I want to touch base on something you kind of mentioned too, is like, sometimes people just are not a good fit for your business. And I think it's important, right? Cause it's easy to, it's easy to take really negative, critical, harsh feedback from somebody, um, and take that to heart. Cause this is your baby. This is the thing that you do only to realize they actually shouldn't have been with you period. Right? Like, so really it's not that their, their feedback is not valuable. It is, but given context of which they shouldn't have been on the bus, so to speak. It's really not right. Um, it's kind of like if I am an Apple fanboy and you walk me into a Microsoft store, I'm not going to be not, not mean, but like, I don't care. Right. <laughs> it's like, and, and, but they shouldn't be like, Oh, well, we got to make this guy happy. No, I shouldn't have been in the store to begin with. I'm an Apple products guy. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's knowing who should be on your bus and who shouldn't be. And listen, a lot of times you will have people that should not be on your bus. Get on it. And you have to quickly be able to realize, ah, they shouldn't have been here to begin with. I'm still going to be empathetic and, and help them in every way that I can. But it's understandable that they're frustrated because their expectations compared to what we provide are not in alignment. Therefore, they weren't going to be happy to begin with. This was not a match made in heaven, right? Yeah. And then the the next project there is how did they get on the bus in the first place? Correct. If correct. they weren't, you know, the right fit, right? Like if it's, you know, coming back to maybe this t-shirt example, if, if I'm selling $100 t-shirts, I have to be okay with the fact that there are going to be some people that are going to be 
extremely picky because they're spending a hundred dollars on a fucking t-shirt and there there are going to be some that just don't care because they have more money than sense as my mom always said that's fine you're going to take those experiences and use it to hone in your marketing your your design whatever your message all of that yeah hone in on your actual customer base right those who are going to purchase your hundred dollar t-shirt who are going to be hypercritical of it it's probably not actually your true customer base, right? They're, they're just people that thought maybe it was a good idea. Turns out they're not, right? How do you how do you prevent them from getting themselves into a situation where everyone's just pissed off because the expectations weren't met or just some something fell apart somewhere and now it's just fire and chaos? Yeah, and I've, I can give you a prime example, right? So, so for aura marketing. Um, we had like an increase in churn a little bit and we're like, okay, what's going on? Cause not much has really changed. Like in terms of like, oh, we can definitely pinpoint it to this. And we, so we started to look at the data and we're like, oh, actually a lot of the people that are churning right now, the reason for it is that it's just, it's too soon. Like, like their business is just not large enough to really get an ROI from any repricing tool. Right. So really they, they shouldn't have been here uh, in like a nice way, right? Like really you should have waited like six months and then came on board once your business was at a certain level. Same question. How do we keep those people from coming in too soon and kind of really oddly enough, getting people to opt out of signing up. And so one of the ideas that we're going to be testing is like a check mark, like, like, like a, a require, I can't speak a required check mark or checkbox, right? So it would basically say like, you know, my minimum sales are X. So basically like if I say minimum, I think you need five grand in sales per month to use any repricing tool to really get a positive ROI. If you have anything less than that, you probably need to wait. Okay. So let's put some radio buttons, right? So you have options and the lowest one is five grand to 10 grand. So if you don't fit in any of the options, now you can still technically sign up, but the idea is for you to be like, eh, I'm not doing, I'm not doing five. Therefore I'm just going to wait. Great. Awesome. I would rather you do that, right. Then jump in because a lot of people do unfortunately get promoted to that repricing as like a silver bullet. And it, it is not right. Like the, the level of impact you get from a tool like that is relative to how big you are. Right. Cause like if I can increase your sales 20% and you're doing 20 million, that's a big deal. If you're doing 20 grand a year, it's really not that impactful from a, a dollar amount. Right. And so you kind of need to wait to hit a certain level. So we're, we're literally doing and executing on that problem at the moment. Cause we had a little spike in that. We're like, that's super interesting. Like now we're actively trying people, trying to get people to not sign up who are not a good fit. And, uh, it's a weird concept, but it does make sense in reality. That is actually, you know, in our space, probably one of the most prime examples because the conversation usually starts, okay, I, I've created my Amazon seller central account in this scenario. What do I need? which they're immediately already asking the wrong question. So, but you know, we'll, we'll play along here. So the question is posed, what do I need? And 19 to 58 random individuals who have no context whatsoever about what this individual individual is building start listing off a bunch of random crap that, you know, there are things that they may or may not have found valuable at one point in time. Maybe, you know, they provide some context. Why? Generally not. Okay, so now this individual has a list of stuff that people in the community, this individual is thinking, okay, this this is a community that probably knows what they're talking about, so they're going to take it all at face value. All right, problem number two. 
or three, depending on how you're measuring it. So they're going down the list and just signing up for shit, right? Okay, there's 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 inventory lab, there's repricer, there's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. Now they're nine hundred dollars in the hole and they've got nothing to show for it. No inventory. You know, and then they're wondering where'd all my money go, why I don't have any money left for inventory. And then they just bail out. It's unfortunate, but because they started off asking it's really because they started off asking the wrong question. Right. And, and getting shifting the mindset of the individual before they actually make that purchase, getting them thinking about what is your actual goal here? Why are you even here today? What are you, what are you building? Right? Like let's, let's let's just let's let's back up. There's there's no you don't need to be buying anything, paying for anything until you have an idea of what you're actually going to be building like why why is How this about until you have revenue <laughs> right like that's <laughs> right exactly right it even better you know let's make a little bit of money first especially yeah. in this scenario right you have to yeah. you know validate your idea to some regard right like we talked about mvps and the like you know that's that's exactly it right the e-commerce equivalent of a minimum viable product in this case the product is the business but we can even tie this back to customer support right so so because I have em- empathy, because I know what it's like to be an Amazon seller, aka my customer base, I know how quickly it is to go from zero to $1,000 in recurring subscription fees and having no revenue because you you think you need all these things, right? So let, let's let's take a, a, a selfish philosophical journey together. I'm going to give you two options, two two scenarios, both of which I will be greedy, but in different ways. The first route, I will be traditionally greedy. AKA it's about me and what I get. If a user comes or a lead, let's say to, to clarify, comes to the site, jumps on support, says, Hey, I'm thinking about using you guys. Here's where I'm at. What do you think? I can completely ignore them. Say, yeah, sounds great. You should definitely use us. Sign up here. Okay. That's one route. Let's say that user stays with us for three months. And because they've only you know, they're not even at a good point where it even makes sense, right? So three months might even be aggressive, but let's say three months, right? So I get three months times the the monthly cost. Awesome. The other scenario, I'm going to be philosophically greedy. I'm going to be a little selfish, but differently. Same scenario. User comes, hey, here's where I'm at. What do you think? I go, you know what? I think it's a bit too soon. I think you should wait until you're about five to 10 K in, um, in monthly revenue and then come back. Interesting. Okay, sounds good. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Yep, you too. We get nothing from them for six months. Now they come back. They knew that we took care of them. Now it is a good time because they're between five and $10,000 per month in revenue. Then they stay with us for two years. In which case, I got 97 times 24. In which case did I make more money? Being traditionally greedy or being philosophically selfish, <laughs> right? So here's the cool thing. You can still be selfish, quote unquote. You can still be capitalistic, quote unquote, and do the right thing. Because when you actually analyze the two situations, doing the right thing makes you more money. Imagine that. So you can actually have a philosophical alignment with making money and your user base. And I will do that all day long, right? Because I understand what LTV is, right? Like lifetime value of a, of a user. I know that if they're really not meant to be on the bus right now, their LTV is going to be super low and it's really just not a good fit. And then they're never going to come back because I told them something that was not true. If I'm doing this for 10, 20 years, what's six months, right? What's six months to wait for you to come back to be with me for two years and to be happy about that and be excited and then go tell five other people for free 
that they should use us because we took care of you and, and we were honest and, and blah, blah, blah. Over that 30 total month period, it's still very obviously clear how much money you made over that 30 months, right? There, there is no comparison, right? You got that, the, the, the $97 over 30 months or $97 times three, you know, spread that out over 30 months. That's not a whole hell of a lot. You know, six months of zero and then 97 times 24, spread that out over 30 months. And again, factor in them telling five other people who also sign up. That's free free marketing. And LTV, again, theoretically goes up, right? <laughs> so like, you know, that's my thing is, I think that's why it's so important for for founders to to do customer support because you understand things from this perspective, right? And I agree with your point of like, you shouldn't measure everything by metrics because you're, you don't have an empathetic standpoint. And to be frank, it would be easy if you're just looking at, you know, your revenue metrics and being like, well, why didn't it increase when it could have? Well, actually, if you're just looking at your revenue increase, like your monthly recurring revenue, that's not the whole picture. Because another picture is LTV. What if I want to maximize LTV? What if I want to take it from 3,000 to 6,000? Okay, well, the decisions we're making are completely different. And I'm not trying to do that in the next 30 days. I'm trying to do that in the next year to two years. Because I know that we're going to have situations where we tell people, hey, it's not a good time now, but come back in a year, come back in six months, and then you stay with us forever, right? And so having that view on things, and I say philosophical, you could argue it's actually quantitative completely, but you're actually factoring in and being accurate with your quantitative analysis. But I say philosophical because I think it's a little bit more empathetic and, and you are thinking, you, you have that alignment, right? And I think that's why I'm saying it's philosophical. You have that alignment with, with, with what's, what's appropriate and what's correct and, and what makes sense across the board. But, but I do think that too many people focus in on the micro measurements and don't consider the longevity of things, right? You're making 30-day decisions versus 10-year decisions. And that's where a lot of people get stuck and start to plateau super, super fast. It's probably worth clarifying that I'm not entirely against management by metrics. I think there's, there's, there's a really, it's really easy to just look at the, the, the concrete numbers of, let's say, you know, cases per day, if you're in a higher volume support environment, or if it's more general e-commerce things like, you know, the uh, return percentage or repeats purchase, things like that. But there, you know, you can you can abstract that a little bit more. Take things like LTV, which is lifetime value, um, sometimes also referred to as average customer value. You know, depending on how you want to measure that. If it's if if it's scenario where they're coming back to you to buy more stuff, you know, coming back to the clothing example again, right? Average customer value. The more stuff they buy, like you, you want to measure lifetime value, like how many times they come and buy things from you. But then also potentially the average customer value, how large does that cart get every time they come back, right? If they bought one thing now and then three things later and then five things after that, right? That's that's a different metric, right? They're they're coming back because they're trusted. Like that's it's almost a trust metric of anything else, the the average value, right? So you can you can still take those numbers. Those numbers are helpful. Take them and kind of mix them in with things like customer satisfaction. Right. If they have contacted you, you know, take out take out all the customers that have never spoken with you. Those are not the ones you need to focus your energy on. They're they're gonna buy, they're gonna be happy, whatever. Those the those are the unicorns, just let the unicorns roam, right? Take the customers that say have emailed you, maybe five, six, I don't know, pick a number, whatever. The number itself doesn't actually matter. Look at how satisfied they were 
and those experiences and then compare that to how much money they're actually spending with you. I, I would argue that the the more satisfied a customer is with the interactions they're having with that business, over time, those customers are going to spend more money than those who are less satisfied, right? It's And it's not a direct correlation. Every customer is going to be different, different budgets, you know, different needs, seasonality, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's going to be a ton of variables there, but there is going to be some correlation there, right? And that's that's a way you could take your metrics and turn it into actionable items that influence how you run your business, how you run your customer support department, how you run your marketing department, right? You can still manage by metrics if that's really what you feel like you need in life without being the guy that says, okay, our average daily revenue is down 5% this month. Sell, 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 sell. Like this isn't a car dealer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's totally wrong, right? And I think I think management by metrics is wrong, but I think measurement by metrics is correct, right? Because, and I'm glad you brought that up, is like I can look at metrics and I'm a heavy KPI metrics guy, but it's not like it's down 5%, therefore just fix it. It's like, no, like we need to figure out what's going on. And if that's a continuous trend, okay, maybe we have a data leakage somewhere or maybe we have um, something we can't see, right? Or it just helps you quantify things, right? So if I'm trying to increase the trial to paid conversion rate, well, I kind of need to know what it is, especially historically, right? Because if I increase it by 4% and it holds there moving forward for the next one year, we did something impactful, right? So I think it's important to have metrics, but they, they are designed for measurement, not for management. The management aspect, in my opinion, is where you get to come along as the, the entrepreneur and say, okay, here's what's going on. I think we have a problem here. Okay, how do we fix that? If it's worth fixing, right? Something just, it is what it is, right? But let's say on average, I want to set a goal, a benchmark to have, let's say 50 new trials per day on average for the month. Okay, well, that's something we can work towards, right? And I need to measure that and see if we can actually do it, right? Did we hit it or not? Now, if we don't hit it, it's not like, hey, everybody's fired because you didn't hit the goal, right? It's like, no, I don't know if we can hit it. We're going to figure it out, but I need to measure it. I need to know what's possible, Um so I don't like the management side of, of metrics approach from that standpoint, right? Because there is no empathy. There is no context, right? Like there, there is no, you actually know what's going on, right? Because it would be easy. Like we're, we're looking at um, earlier today, a bunch of other SaaS companies um, who publicly share the revenue. And what's funny is the last three months, completely flat, flatlined. And these are like growing well and then just flatlined, right? And so it would be easy to just look at our metrics and be like, well, why aren't we growing as fast as we were? Um, bro, nobody is. Like, <laughs> right? You have to understand the context. You need to know what's happening, right? And so I, I like I like them in the sense of I can look at something and say, okay, the average first response time is getting a little high. Maybe we have a problem. And now it's not a, hey, you're messing up. It's, hey, is support load getting a little too high and it's getting really difficult for you to handle? Maybe we need to consider getting somebody on here to help you out, right? It's empathetic. It's not just like, hey, you're failing. It's like, no, hey, what's going on? Do you need help, right? It's a it's a very clear indicator for, for me to potentially step in or or solve a problem because I think what what would be really terrible is you do have an employee management, managing something, you not looking at the quantitative side of it and them actually being complete chaos internally and struggling but not want to share that to you for whatever kind of fear or insecurity and you find out three, six months later that it's really, really bad and potentially 
irreco- like you can't recover from it, right? Like that's a big problem. Um, so, in, you know, you can kind of factor out some of the emotional side that could be negative. So you can come to them and say, hey, listen, I, I get things are kind of, you know, not working so well for you right now from a metric standpoint. Like, how can I help you? Like, I want to make sure you succeed. Like, this is not you're in trouble, right? This is what can I do as the manager, as the entrepreneur to come in and help you succeed? Because ideally that's what I want, right? And if that's what you want to, we're in alignment here as a team, we're good to go. And you might be like, listen, dude, I'm just kind of struggling right now with X, Y, and Z. Great. Let me try to find a, a solution to, to that problem. And and now we can we can get to things more quickly, right? Um, I think that's that's the way I approach approach uh, metrics. And it, I don't know, I, I like it, um, but I don't like the whole, it's down 3% fix it or fired, right? It's like, that's not how that works. <laughs> I, I, I'd worked for a company for a, a period of time where that the group I was a part of was more, not not new money, that's not the term I want to use, but it, it is a more modern, flexible way of looking at your performance as it relates to customer satisfaction with the product, you know, how much are they using it? Why are they not using it as much as they are? You know, like trying to actually figure out what, the sticking points are to to keep them in the loop because it was it was a, a reoccurring revenue you know software product and they paid roughly by usage you know there were there were usage tiers right so it's in everyone's best interest for them to use it more so you kind of have to figure out what you know where's the sticking point why are they not using it more right is it because they don't know how to use it more or is it because they are getting everything they need out of it and this is exactly where they need to be right now. And that was, it was always an interesting conversation to have with the management that was more old school, shall we say. They're non-technical. Right. Yeah. Where they, you know, they, they see, you know, for a particular month, you know, not as many accounts grew. It's like, well, fuck, there could be any number of reasons, right? It's not, <laughs> right. It, it's not just because right. it's not we're bad. not aggressive enough in our sales. You can't assume, right. You can't assume that, that, that is bad because all those people, 100% could be like, this is exactly where I want to be at. This is yeah. perfect. And you're that winning. was the, you're literally, that winning. <laughs> was the hardest thing for me to ever explain was that, look, there are going to be some of these accounts that are just, they're going to, they're going to cruise right here in perpetuity because they're getting 100% of what they need out of it at exactly at this spot. There's nothing on the planet you can do to convince them to pay more because this is a usage-based product. Unless you're going to convince them to do more things elsewhere in their business to all of a sudden need to use more of our product, good luck with that. If you can make that happen, then uh, here's another field of unicorns, obviously, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I I keep thinking in my head two, you know, example scenarios here, one closer to ideal and one definitely not. Starting with the less ideal topic, you know, before we started the show, I told Dylan, you know, I've been back and forth with Dell for the last number of days and it's like the third or fourth time that I've had to be back and forth with them over the last, you know, year and a half and whatnot. And it's always, I always dread it. Every single time something comes up, I'm just like, I got to call Dell again, right? Like that's probably more on the extreme side, but that's like exactly what you, that's, that's the environment you don't want to create. Yeah. You want people to be like, oh yeah, I'll just reach out to Dylan. He'll take care of me. Like, like that's literally it, right? Like that's you like, dude, I use emojis out the door, like so many emojis in support. Um, and, and a lot of times I will use gifs, right? Or gifs, whatever the argument, I say gif, whatever. Hey, alignment. I like it. <laughs> but the point is to make it in, enjoyable, right? And if I'm throwing, cause it's text, right? How am I supposed to share any emotions with you? 
Now, if I throw in like a laughing smiley face, if I throw in like a nerdy smiley face, if I throw in a little rocket or whatever, right? Because it's contextual um, or like a, a gift that's like, yeah, awesome. Like crushing it, right? Like it adds a layer of emotion to where people, I'm almost trying to like classic, classically condition people to enjoy <laughs> talking with me, right? So it's because think about it. Anytime somebody is reaching out in support, it is because they have a problem or a question, but typically a problem. So immediately they're already frustrated. So they're coming to you like, I can't figure this out on my own. I need you to help me. Immediately they're upset, right? And understandably so. So how do I take them from upset to like, hey, here's a here's a simple solution. I got you covered. And also let me make your day a little bit brighter. Because if I can do that, I'm able to like circumvent them being frustrated and have them leave happy, right? So like come to me frustrated, leave happy with a solution. That's what I want. I don't want you to just leave with a solution. Leave happily with a solution. I, I will say that every, you know, every time I'm done with Dell, there is a solution, right? It's to varying degrees, it's more frustrating than others, especially if it's a repeat issue um, or I have to go off and click the email my manager button. Like, eventually a solution appears right you know that that's that that was never an issue but you know in this case we even went so far as to pay extra for what i thought was going to be like business class support right the the computer was ordered through like a business discount program right so it already went through a different channel there we knew we were going to keep the computer around for a while so we're like screw it we'll just we'll get the 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 extended business support arrangement or whatever Turns out that's not worth a whole hell of a lot. I tell you what, it's I, I feel like it's no different than than what I would have normally gotten, and that that is probably more frustrating than anything else. Like I think ultimately that is why I get so bothered every time I call them. It's because I know I have paid extra for the people that I'm talking to. They're still driving me nuts. It's like this is why I paid, <laughs> right? Like this is this is what I paid for. Like, are you kidding me? You know, like, and I, ultimately, I think that's that's really what it is. Like, if I hadn't paid extra, okay. I mean, you know, tech support, for, you know, you know, they're like the bar is going to be so much lower just from the start, right? So your expectations are going to be a lot lower. But once once extra money comes into it, your expectations are going to go up, right? You're gonna you're gonna hope that like somebody's going to be on the other end that actually cares. So the other end of my my scale here, I had been shopping around for, you know, specialized ergonomic keyboards because my body is strange and I need specific things. So you're so high maintenance, uh, not by choice, dude. I wish I wish I could <laughs> by default. I like I would love the, you know, the best keyboard I've ever experienced in my life. I don't know. Horn for Apple nerd dumb coming up. Maybe. I don't know. The the Apple Magic Keyboard the silver with the white buttons, just that little slab. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the new flat one. Yeah. Like that is yeah. to me, that is like the, the best keyboarding experience I've ever had, okay. but I can't yes, use what it. I have. My body does not allow me to use it. Okay. For, for lack of better terms. <laughs> Do you so, have to type like diagonally with your hands? Right. Yeah. No, I or can't you go like this. Okay, like I so can't, you Spider-Man I can't, it, I can't let my like... wrists bend at all. Like they have to be straight. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I have, it's a full split keyboard. It's the Kinesis Freestyle 2. But I had contacted uh, a company called The Human Solution. They do all ergonomic stuff, uh, thehumansolution.com. And I, I had emailed them, or I hopped in their chat, rather, and I was like, look, I don't really know which of these keyboards is going to work. Like, can I 
just buy them all and send back the ones I don't like. And they're like, whatever, like, <laughs> right, like <laughs> sure, like go for it. We're going to repackage it and sell it anyways. So. You know, and it's like the fact like it was like a two minute conversation. But the fact that they were just like, yeah, man, go nuts. It was a really low effort response on their part because of how they look at the customer experience and how they, you know, they know their customers needs are going to be particular. That translated directly into the conversation in the form of, yeah, man, do what you want. That's totally fine. Send back. Like, there's there going to be no repercussions from this. Like, and you just, totally got excited because you're like, I'm about to order like eight keyboards right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you have a solution the, and you felt good about it, right? Right, right. That's exactly. What you want. And so it's like, okay, great. Now I have an opportunity to, you know, test out all of these things in my own time and send back what I don't like. And I found a retailer that's willing to support me in my endeavor, right? Like that's right. They had to put in very little effort to satisfy me. Because and you they will always go it. back to them when you need a new keyboard. Right, right. All because yeah. they started it from a, a friendly, supportive perspective. Yeah. You know, I might not buy everything I need ergonomically from them, but I know what they're about and I know their vibe, yeah. so to speak, to speak to the millennials or the, the Generation <laughs> Z. I don't even know right. what we're on right now. Um, and that's going to stick with me. So I'm going to remember, oh yeah, the human solution. They're... The ergonomic company, they they know their shit, right? Go work with them. So, I mean, this is admittedly like the first world of first world problems here. But, it is 100%. You know, it is, if it, if you're, you're going to be spending the time and the money on something, you're going to be using a lot every day. Right. So, you know, in my case, I'm looking for people that can help support me in this endeavor, right? And the fact that the human solution was you know, is totally fine with eating the cost of, you know, returns and return shipping and, and things like that, just so I can find something that works for me. Like they get, not only do they get quality customer service, they get the struggle. That very clearly was conveyed in the interaction, right? Like they know it. Like they're they're on your team, right? And I think that, that's what I want for everything I do is like, I want you to feel like we're on your team. Like, cause you made such a good point just a second ago. It was like, you know, I feel like they're they're with me on this endeavor. Like that's what you want, right? You don't want to be like, oh, this company I buy stuff from. It's like, no, dude, that's my company. Like <laughs> they take care of me, right? Like they're helping me in their own way go from A to Z, which is my goal, right? So I think that's pretty cool. So if you can if you can figure out what that A to Z is for the people you serve and then do everything possible to be on their team to help them do that and accomplish that goal, I think you'll just win by default. Like I feel like it would be very hard to not. 100%. As somebody that's done customer support in various capacities for quite a lot of years, it frustrates me at times to see so many individuals in the e-commerce space who don't look, they, they just don't look at customer interactions that way. You know, to take an example, somebody is upset because their thing was delivered late. Like, if your first reaction is, oh, crap, God, I don't want to refund them their money, like, I mean, no business wants to refund money. I had somebody try to tell me that that he refuses to do refunds. I'm like, your business, one, guaranteed is small. Two, you're not going to get far at all <laughs> and build something worth anything. I'm sorry. Like, I have a very firm stance on this. If you're like, I just don't care to deal with it, then don't be in business because I'm sorry. I don't care what type of business you are. You have churn rate. You have return rates. You're going to have it, right? Like, yeah, you do everything you can to keep them low, but you will have them. And for you to be like, I just don't deal with it. Then like, you're going to be out of business in a year. I'm sorry. So moral of the episode, 
treat the people you serve with respect, <laughs> with empathy, and actually give a shit. I can't make that the show title, but yes, give a shit. <laughs> we could. We got to put the little asterisk in there, though. <laughs> I can give it a shot, but if this, if this episode gets delisted, I guess we'll know why. Yeah, right. I'm checking them out now. Yeah, they have a lot of cool stuff on here. I like it. I still haven't found the ideal keyboard, though, which is unfortunate. Ah, that's my. Tough, I, have, I have a specific set of requirements. I need something that completely splits in half. Okay. It uh, can't have, like, attached extra keys, you know, 10 key sure. arrows. Any, anything that would create an odd, a lopsided arrangement. Okay. Ideally, Mac key combinations. Sure. Which is, that, that, that makes it greatness. infinitely harder. Even more, ideally, wireless. Good luck finding that. Yeah, dude, you're, you're out of luck. You just need to start a new company. Like, you're out of luck. <laughs> I, I basically, I need, I need Apple to make the magic keyboard ergonomic. <laughs> so basically, we need to take your keyboard, saw it in half, somehow make it still work wirelessly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. So if anyone's looking need. for a business idea right now here on Welcome to Growth, you can have that one for free. <laughs> Let us know if it works out, please, because I will give you, have you at least yeah an you have unhealthy at least two amount of money for that keyboard. <laughs> oh, that's great! I would totally get it too if it had the same like typing style, like the same keys. I'd I'd be about it. So I found 100%. one that's close. I, it's close. The Logitech K eight sixty. Okay. My only problem with it is it has a, a permanently attached ten key arrangement, so that makes the oh. keyboard lopsided. And yeah, it does. One of my other afflictions is that I can't reach very far for the mouse. It has to, you know, keep it relatively close to my right. my my typing setup. So because the ten key and the arrows are all shoved off to the side, yeah, it's like way far away. By the time I get to my mouse, it's in the next zip code, right? It's I can't <laughs> right, right. I can't work like that all day, right? Like I need this no, arrangement to be working not. for me forty hours a week, you know. So it's it's close, but not quite. Like I'm tempted to see what happens if I cut off the ten key from the keyboard. Like that's just, just come on, Logitech, you were so close. It's got to be possible. It's got to so be close. so possible. That's awesome. I, I I actually hate touching my mouse now. Um, I just don't like lifting my hands off my keyboard. It's such a waste of time. Like yes, I'm now that human being that's like I have to lift my hands off my keyboard. Oh, I know it's Ridiculous. such a rough life. I know, dude. I, I think I'm technically a millennial, so I, have, I I am slightly high maintenance in like a different kind of way, like a tech way where I'm like, 2020, why doesn't this work? <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed to have flying cars right now. We can't get a good keyboard. What the hell?